You've been here long enough to know that I have a habit of trying to give away things to reward you for learning anything, knowing something or whatever. And it's really a sneaky way to promote products as well. But uh, we have here prizes tonight. If you want to deal with the issues like Israel Flowers raised on homophobia and all those sort of misnamed things, I gave that lecture recently uh, in Melbourne and it was great having some public servants there who said, wow, we've been counselling people the wrong way. What should we do? Yeah. Wow, I said, you're going to have to go back and say, I was wrong. God's right. Let's start again. Hey, they took that advice too. That's a great DVD. And then we have all the latest. Al Gore was in town a couple of weeks back, so we thought we can't miss the opportunity. A church asked us, can you deal on climate, God, Gore or government? Right? And that's a great couple of hours as well. This is yours free of charge if you can tell me what happened 525 years ago and 22 hours. Don't you teach them anything, this church, sir? Come on. We're going to be talking about Noah tonight and Noah's Ark and things like that. No, not Luther, not Luther. No, he didn't go boating at all anywhere. He worked in a coal mine. Come on, there's the clue. Boats, 525 years and 22 hours ago, right now. Columbus, who said that? Who said that? Oh, pastor, you're a, pay, you're a paid employee. You can't win anything. Okay, well, look, they are now available at the back. I will give a copy to Pastor. I've got to encourage him somehow. You can choose which one you like. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, if you are not yet on our mailing list, can I encourage you? See my lovely wife up the back, who's uh, put up with me now for a lot more than 50 years. Uh, but uh, we have mailing lists that we, we succeed in schools and with public service groups and that because God's people pray for us. That's where real strength comes from, the God who you pray to. If you're not on our mailing list, I encourage you to make sure you are. Let's uh, sort of start here. You can see again, we've emphasised the research bit. So we will be taking you into the dim, dark, distant holes called coal mines today because Pastor asked me to deal with coal and the flood. So let's try and figure out what coal actually is. It's an old word, by the way, and... When Moses was in Egypt, he would have worn it because high ups... Did you, did you notice the pharaohs had black stuff on their eyelids? Their word for it was coal. It simply meant black. And that's how we still have it. In fact, some of you ladies, haven't you seen the eyelash shadow you can buy called coal? K-O-H-L, though? Same word. Okay, Australia. A question. Observe this New South Wales polystrate fossil tree. Polystrate means many strata, right? Latin is the common language in science because when it sort of kicked off 400 years ago, you didn't do English at university. Not even French was the in thing. Latin and Greek were the languages. Many layers. The fossil tree is going upright. You're at university. You want to be bold. You want to stand up for Christ. Question. Would you be allowed to ask in any university you know of, was this fossil tree formed during Noah's flood? No need to answer at the moment, but it's a question you need to raise because the lecture you're about to give is a part of the reason I was kicked out of presenting papers to geological conferences, right? It's a sensitive issue, okay? Let's take you to, well, do you, do you know where the arrow's going? We're in Canada on the eastern edge. We're in Nova Scotia, okay? Part of my family went there when they were sort of sailing away from Scotland to the nether regions. And there's a fossil tree going up through many layers. In fact, there's a black coal underneath. But then that's what the word coal meant. So now you add an adjective in front of the word coal to tell you exactly what sort of coal. Can you see the fossil trees? Okay, good. Let's go to Melbourne, just east of Melbourne. And there's some big holes in the ground. Not because Melbourne is any holier than anywhere else, but it certainly has some big ones. In fact, I gave a lecture on this coal seam to the Newcastle Coal Board in England because coal in England really isn't... I mean, the industry's in a bad shape. And I had to say, well, you guys have to blame us. We just have to shift sort of 30 or 40 metres of dirt and there's hundreds of metres of coal underneath. You've got to dig long, deep mines and you can't compete with us Aussies. Hmm... Okay, the stories. Straight off a museum wall, this is how coal forms. Peat in swamps, 
time, heat, pressure. In fact, there's the next diagram off the museum wall. And because some of you haven't been to Specsavers lately, let me blow it up. How coal was formed? Millions of years ago. Notice the line underneath the green diagram? 100 to 400 million years ago. You live in our society, you grow up thinking that black stuff or the brown stuff somehow took a long time to form and somehow started with swamps. Now let me be honest, you can learn all these diagrams off by heart because I had to in geology and this would be the standard story in the textbook and the kids are smart enough to realise that if this is true and you read the Bible, it doesn't even seem to mention 100 million years ago. It doesn't mention 400 million years ago. And if this is true, then the Bible must be myth or parable or just spiritual stuff. And you never thought coal would have anything to do with the Bible? Well, it's used as one of the biggest attacks on the Bible. Oh, no one comes out and says this is anti-Christian, but the guy who invented the system designed it so it would be. His aim was, quote unquote, to remove Moses from our thinking. And he has succeeded far more than Charles Darwin ever did. Okay, here we are in, in, in your lawn coal mine. It's down in Victoria. It's a big brown coal mine. You get to the bottom. And yes, I praise the Lord for open doors in these coal mines. Um, do you see the stump in it? There are trees that are vertical. There are trees that are horizontal. But what's interesting is when you ask what these trees are, I must admit, I enjoy asking geologists sometimes questions that you know the answer to and they think they know the answer to. Like when you get into this coal mine, what sort of trees are these? Well, what's interesting, of course, is you find brown pine trees, you find Norfolk Island pine trees, you find Ewan pine and celery top pine. Well, most of you only recognise the Norfolk Island name, correct? But they're all in the same family, like our bunya pines. By the way, you know where bunya pines grow high up in the mountains? The bunya mountains? Good, good, good. And the interesting thing is most of the geologists who ask, how did this get here? Well, quote, unquote, the first geologist I asked, this mine, I said, this coal's supposed to be 40 million years old. How did it get here? Oh, he said, millions of years ago in a swamp. And then he went. And so I simply said, well, hang on. What do you know about Norfolk Island pine trees? They don't grow in swamps. No, neither do celery tops or hewn pines or any of our Australian pine trees. They don't like their feet being wet. Hmm, observation versus story. Okay, there's the base of the coal seam. Do you see my ruler there? I was glad, by the way, we had several days without this geologist in charge because we could take the pictures of anything we wanted. It's amazing what opportunities God gives. And do you notice that there's a lovely white clay, layer of clay there under my ruler? And then above it is blacky brown. There's a pine tree sitting right on top. And I said to the geologist, I said, OK, if this was a swamp, did these trees grow here? Well, obviously, if it's a swamp, Huon pine trees don't grow in swamps. And I said, if it grew here, where's the soil it grew in? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, if it grew here, where's the roots? And he said, I don't know. Hmm. You see, you get close up and you can not only see bits of bark, you can see bits of amber from where it bled. You can see all sorts of things. Now, you're not the first people I've given this lecture to. I've given this lecture to technical conferences. And it ends up being very unpopular. Let's go a bit further. What can you find in this coal mine? Not only the pine trees, you can find silky oaks. You can find New Zealand beech trees. New Zealand beech trees? By the way, we're the only country in the world that has fossil kiwis. Did you know that? <laughs> Stick it to the kiwis over there. Um, and you find casuarina and banksia. Well, New Zealand red beech, silky oak and silver beech don't live in the swamps. They just don't. In fact, the casuarina and the banksia only just tolerate swampy ground. Let's go one step further. At the best, you'd have to say this was a mixed environment. At the best. Because here's the problem. You see, when you have a fossil, the ordinary person says where it's buried is where it died. Where it died is where it's lived. So all of these layers represent accumulation of... I mean, how long does it take a 100 feet, a 30-metre pine tree to grow? 
So if you've got to allow 40, 50, 60 years just for that one treat, then you have hundreds of metres of this stuff. Yeah, in your lawn, you have 300 metres of this coal. That's an awful lot of time. Oh, by the way, if it's an awful lot of time, it means you can't believe Genesis means six literal days. You see, most people don't appreciate that that's what this is all about. It's not actually about the information telling you what to think. You see, how long have we known about these trees? E.C. Jeffrey, published in Science, volume 65, June 1927. Do you realise how hard it was for me to track this down? Hmm, that's a long time before they had digital files. Look what he says. Oricarians, that's the bunyapine family, are not bog plants. And the only reasonable explanation of their presence in coal deposits is that they were waterborne. Waterborne, they lived somewhere else, the water picked them up and carried them here. Question, how many times have you seen pine forests destroyed by the water? Unless the water was a raging turmoil, like a flood. Okay, the most characteristic, pro oh, you don't know what that means, the silky oaks and the grevilleas, right? Um, they live on the dry. They do, right? Your silky yolks don't like living in the swamps. Okay, go one step further. Since 1927, we've known that 99% of all the trees found in this coal seam had to live in the dry and they could only be gotten into a dump by being washed there. And you know they had to be washed there quickly because they were still bleeding sap. That's why there's amber in there. So there's no time involved in this flood set a million years as they drain through the... None at all, because they wouldn't bleed sap. Okay, there's fact number one. When you have a look, let's take you to a black coal deposit. Do you recognise me, the living fossil in front there? And behind me is young Joseph, who you're praying for, and pray particularly because we had him out here for 10 weeks last year. We trained him. Now he's finished university. We're training him to do full-time ministry. And uh, he will actually find that hard because I won't be there all the time, but the Lord Jesus will. And he, he got some strange questions in preaching this week that he doesn't know the answer to. Good stuff, Lord, teach him. Pray for him, will you? Okay, we're in a coal seam. There's young Joe. I took him here deliberately because I've given lectures on this fossil tree. Do you see it there? Right. Okay. And in fact, this tree is supposed to be 255 million years old. Belongs to a group called the Permian Rocks, and it's a vertical fossil pine tree. You say, how do we know it's a fossil pine tree? Well, when you cut pine trees, have you ever done that? Have you noticed that unlike the other trees, the pine trees have circulation system that goes up and down, and they have lovely radial. You like carving wood? Because pine does beautiful stuff because it's got two sets of, of rays in it. Okay, vertical fossil pine tree. And I took him here because when you get to the bottom, you see the arrow on the left-hand side? I've excavated this, this layer for kilometres, okay? What's in it? Great fossil leaves. Oh, you mightn't recognise that. That fossil leaf is named after your tongue. It's shaped like your tongue, so it's called glossopterus, right? Glosso as in Greek meaning tongue. And in fact, there's some interesting tree leaves that are along this book. And there's the tree. Where it's sitting straight up is this layer of beautiful leaves. Hmm. So far, no one has found any pine needles or soil at the base of this tree. Now, the brown coal, it seems to have been washed in. The black coal, well, there's no pine needles there. So quite a long time ago, one of our first professors of geology, Sir Edgeworth David, and I have his file, it's a massive file, and you couldn't get it in digital when I first found it, so it takes up an awful lot of paper space. And Sir Edgeworth David, he noticed this. Question. How can you have pine trees if it grew here and then a swamp came in unless it not only buried the tree slowly, it buried the pine debris as well? But there isn't any pine debris. His answer, these had to be washed in. Okay, the brown coal, the black coal. In Australia, the sites I've just showed you are undeniably washed in. And yet all the textbooks tell you millions of years ago, a swamp. Now, young people, I know this is horrifying to have to come to grips with, but you and I grow up thinking scientists tell you the facts. I'm sorry. Scientists tell you what's convenient. 
That's hard to come to grips with because science grew up basically with a Christian philosophy because the scripture says, test everything. Only keep the things that are true. That was the attitude of Francis Bacon who wrote the scientific method down. Here's how you find if something's true. If you test it today, tomorrow, next week, you get the same answer. Ah, oh, they don't, they don't do that anymore. The number of scientists who are fudging results is unbelievable at the present. Brown coal and black coal, worldwide. You know, I could bore you to death and take you to the brown coal in Germany. I could take the brown coal in America. But it just gets boring after a while. The end result's the same. Have you figured out this yet? Observe this New South Wales fossil, fossil polystrate tree. Would you be allowed to ask, was this formed during Noah's flood? What do you think the answer is? No prizes? No. If you do, you'll only ask it once, because I've shared with you before about a young geologist friend of mine, naive background. He came from a Plymouth Brethren. If you think independent Baptists are closed, you want to go to Plymouth Brethren, right? Uh, in reality, he put his hand up at the end of first year. Excuse me, sir, how come we haven't talked about Noah's flood? And the professor said, McDonald, if you're going to ask such stupid questions, take an arts course. You know, he detected an attitude there that he needed to come to grips with. Um, yeah. You know, you might ask that question, you'll only ask it once. In fact, at Queensland University in my first year of geology, within the first couple of lectures, the professor had made it very clear, we are not going to discuss any such catastrophic rubbish as Noah's flood. So you always have to find an explanation away from that, no matter what the facts are. Why? Because Noah's flood is not just a little climate change. Noah's flood is about a God who judged sin. A God who hates sin, he hated it then, and he hates it now. A God who said, if you do this, then here's what you can expect. If you turn over to homosexuality, here's how I will judge. That's what Noah's flood's about. It's not simply about rocks and fossils. I mean, I'll be honest, in my experience, if geologists came across the story of Noah's flood in the Indian Vedas, they'd grab it because it would be so helpful in explaining how come there's millions of tons of pine trees that were ripped up, carted miles and dumped while they were still alive and there's nothing in there but pine trees. There's no clay, there's no nothing, right? It's brown coal. That would be a really... You come with me to New Zealand, to Invercargill, I'll take you to the coal mines there. There's millions of tonnes of trees and they've come from way further up the island and they're dumped and buried before they rotted. Noah's flood is not just about rocks and fossils. It's about a God who hates sin and a God who will judge in righteousness. And it doesn't matter what the Prime Minister's opinion or the leader of the opposition opinion is, God will not change his attitude towards sin or righteousness. Man, Noah's flood is also about salvation. You do know that, don't you? Don't just press the negatives. Noah's flood is, hey, I care. Anybody who wants to can get on this boat. You know, Noah must have figured out long before he'd finished the boat's this long, this wide and that high, we won't all fit. In fact, not even my brothers and sisters are interested. You do know that, don't you? And Lamech, he died in the year of the flood, but he had other sons and daughters. So there was at least two brothers and two sisters who did not get on Noah's Ark, who were in that family. And you think your family's unusual if you've got a couple of non-Christian kids? Noah had the same problem. Okay, how do they form? Oh, you know, we are really excited with the research the Lord's been giving us to do. So let me show you one of the things we've just posted on our Facebook. Now, this is one of these video things that's supposed to work. We're all plugged in, yeah, so let's go. I'm supposed to click it once. Yeah, it's uploading there. Here's one of the things we've been asking at Jurassic Ark and demonstrating experimentally. There's our polystrate tank. I'll let you read that to yourself. That's the reason none of the branches grew here. See the top left-hand corner? 
Okay, and that's a promotion for the website. Do you realise you can experimentally demonstrate that trees don't need to grow anywhere to be buried standing upright? In fact, if they don't have roots, they didn't grow there at all. That's the real point. And if they don't have debris from the tree or anything leaves that belong to the tree, everything was separated somewhere else. You know, I'm really thrilled to tell you, see this guy here beside me? Oh, note his T-shirt, by the way, available from Creation Research, up the back, get yours. He actually ordered one from America. And I'm taking him up uh, Wild Horse Mountain so he can see the view of the Glasshouse Mountains there. Because the Aborigines have a story about the sea changing and coming in and then going back out. Nothing new about sea level change. Noah's flood was just the biggest one. Right? What you find here is that he was learning that, hey, climate change is not new. It started with Noah's flood and it's come and gone several times. And the Aborigines here have got plenty of records of it. Oh, but you know why he came to Australia? I was really thrilled that Dr Glenn, yes, he has his doctorate and he's a soil hydrology expert. You know what soil does in water? And he said, I've been looking all over the planet. I'm due for early retirement in a couple of years and I've been looking for a ministry that's doing research that I can join in with all of my PhD stuff. And he said, you're it. Oh, that doesn't mean he's in, by the way. That means you're praying with me that we might know what the Lord wants. But he, 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 he seems to be a wonderful evangelical guy concerned about the salvation of people. But he came because of experiments like that that we post up on YouTube. And people can see it everywhere. Oh, and don't be surprised, since it was washed in, you also find sharks mixed with coal. Ah, there's me. There's a coal seam right about my shoulders. There's me pointing to a fossil tree. We're in Tennessee. Can you see the layer of coal right under the tree? There's no roots. If there's no roots, this tree didn't grow there. I mean, that's easy, isn't it? How come then the textbooks tell you that these trees grew there and slowly they were buried? You, you see, I gave this demonstration to the Newcastle Coal Conference about the fossil trees that are down there and in the next Geological Association journal, the head professor said there are no such trees despite the fact that I'd given all the geologists the directions as to where to find the one that was only a couple of kilometres down the road. Isn't that amazing? You wouldn't think scientists would do that, would you? But they sadly do. Oh, there my hammer, just above the coal. Let me show you what we found in that layer. We're that far above the coal seam. Isn't that beautiful? Can you see why we're setting up a big museum? The evidence of rapid burial, that's just magnificent. How good's your eyes? Well, I knew some of you need to go to Specsavers. said that this morning because I was amazed to find a seashell mixed in with the coal. That's a brachiopod. Brachiopods are not known for living in fresh water, but then sharks are not too keen on fresh water either. They can move into fresh water, but you don't usually find sharks in swamps, agree? Hmm. Particularly not when their whole jawbone, which is made of ligament, actually is preserved as well. And look what I found out of this level. How good's your eyes? I'm glad the Lord's kept my eyes going because this is a horseshoe crab. And we sent it off the experts who excavated it and prepared it for our museum. Yep, provably, it's a horseshoe crab. Hmm, we know that because horseshoe crabs are still here. So are tassel ferns and they haven't even... And so are sharks, correct? No evidence for evolution. Plenty of evidence that when you mix land plants, seashells and sea animals and there's coal plants in the bottom... This is a flood deposit. I mean, there's no other way you can do it. I mean, you want to demonstrate it? Go and see if you can catch some sharks, mix them with trilobites and all of that, and stuff them together with land plants and bury them before any of them rot. Oh, you see that? Did you notice that that horseshoe crab was rolled up? They're still here. That's what they do when you frighten them. Boo! And they roll up, right? But he was buried before he could unroll. Back to New South Wales. See the Aussie coin there? Joseph and I, this is what we found at that seam. Um, but you see, most people don't ask that question. The textbooks have already answered it. 225 million years old. Let's check. How good are your eyes? Can you spot the stem there? It's a fossil seed fern. You say, I've never heard of a seed fern. No, I'm not surprised. They're extinct. There used to be two sorts of ferns. One that had seeds big enough for you to see. And the other sort is the one that's still here with the tiny little spores that just blow around in the wind. The one with the seeds has died out, it would seem. Let's get a bit closer. Can you see my red arrow? Can you see what it's pointing to? Get you a bit closer. 
Can you see it now? Um, oh, how about in these ones? There's the coin again. Can you see the two thorns? Okay, question. When you find a rock with a branch in it that's got fossil thorns and you ask the question, how old is this rock? The answer is, who's your authority? What does God say about the history of thorns? What does God say about the history of rocks? What does God say about the history of fossils? And you've never thought about that? No wonder God says, you will love me with your mind. You know, I shared with you before, I still remember the young lady who came up and said, I don't like your sermons, you make me think. (laughs) Amen, sister. But it's hard work, isn't it? It really is. Who is your authority? God who made the world good so there was nothing dead, so nothing could be fossilised. And there's no opportunity for anything to be fossilised until they can be buried so fast and the first opportunity is Noah's flood. Are you catching on? Good. That's where geology started too. And then you get the question of thorns. God said to Adam, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, the ground is cursed for your sake. You know... When you have a look at many Easter conventions, Easter is all about the solution to this problem. But most churches and most Easter conventions won't touch this. Uh, We talked to Bribe Baptist about putting an Easter convention on next year in which we go from creation to Christ to crucified and risen again. That's what we're doing. If you're interested, keep in touch with us. God said to Adam, because you've done this, the ground will bring forth thorns and thistles. Bindi eyes is another name for some of them. Rose prickles, spikes, etc. So that rock formed after Adam's sin. Do you realise you've got no choice? If you're going to be a Christian and you make the choice to put your God and his word above the professor's word, then you've not only made yourself unpopular with the geologists, you've ruined your relationship with David Attenborough. The BBC won't want anything more to do with you and I know that because I was there on the day I just finished a long program for the BBC and the manager came and said, we have have been ordered to never again have you on. Just because I preach what God said. It's amazing. But then again, I think Israel Folau's been in trouble for this too, hasn't he? Yeah. Newcastle coal measures, sorry, not 225 million years old. They're less than 6,000 years old. And Professor David Edgeworth, even though he struggled with the young earth and all of that because of his interest in geology, I'll tell you what, he was spot on when he said this is a washed-in deposit. And in fact, the, the coal beds start out at the Stanthorpe area and go in several directions, all down to Newcastle, down to the Wollongong, and they head up into Queensland, and all the trees are washed in. These are enormous beds. And you know what? Praise the Lord... As far as we can find, and we got you to do the research, didn't we? Search the literature. Nobody else has found fossil thorns in these beds. That's been reported. Hmm. That doesn't mean it hasn't been found, but it probably meant, I don't want to know that. Uh, it's amazing what evidence people don't want to know. Uh, it brings us to this point. It's never the evidence which contradicts what God says. Can I encourage you? It will be hard work. It will be terrible for you to have to rearrange all your thinking. And you'll probably take the rest of your life to do it because your question will be, God, put your thoughts in mine. Be my thinking. Um, It's hard work. Let's take you to Jurassic Ark. Have I mentioned Jurassic Ark today? Good, you are coming on our, our, well, some of you are, open day. I just got 20 more booked in yesterday. Hurry up because we've got a limit this year. We've had heaps of people there. And look, we've even had a school from Albany Creek. I, I think that's your mob. Uh, yeah, it is. Praise the Lord. They had a great day up there, your final year high school students. And look, there's Dr. Diane Eager in the right. So, Diane, would you like to come up and tell them some of the things you've found out about prickly stuff? Prick, yeah, you know, things that hurt people, right? So there you are. I'll let you take over for the next 10 minutes or so, and then I'll finish off, and then it'll be your chance to ask some questions. Yes, at Jurassic Ark, you get a chance to walk from Adam to Australia. We have lots of unique things. We must be the only people in the country who have deliberately planted a garden with thorns. Everybody else does their best to try and get them out, but we have deliberately planted a garden with thorns. And this photo is from a couple of years ago. Uh, It's actually grown. It's doing well. Isn't that beautiful? But you don't want to fall into that very large plant that's there in the middle. 
because it has very, very sharp thorns. Right, is that better? <clears throat> and we have another garden that is really cactus. And uh, here are a number of students doing some research into that garden and looking at some of the plants there. Now, the interesting thing is uh, you wouldn't want to sit on that plant either, would you? <laughs> but when those thorns first start to grow, they actually start out being soft. Then they get harder and harder as they dry, and then they become almost like a weapon of war. Interesting, isn't it? Now, you Queenslanders should recognise this. Yes, it's a miniature pineapple. And you don't want to get the rough end of the pineapple, and you don't want to get the rough end of its leaves either, or the rough side of its leaves, because they're very sharp. You have lots of spiky bits sticking out of the side. Now, here is another plant that's not a pineapple, but it is part of the pineapple kind. It's a bromeliad, so it's part of the same kind, uh, but it also has all of these spikes sticking out the side, and that's one of the plants that features in our thorn garden. Now, what do the evolutionists tell us about where thorns came from? Well, actually, it's interesting to see where they think um, all plants came from. Now, they think that plants started off as microscopic um, algae, right? That's pond scum. Right? And the first big plants that you would see with, uh, without a microscope would be seaweed. And somehow these didn't like living in the sea, so they moved onto the land and became ferns. And then they thought, well, it's rather boring just being a green plant with thorns, uh, with uh, spores, rather. So they became flowering plants, which are nice and colourful. All this happened just by chance, molecules banging into one another, until eventually we have roses with thorns. Is that where thorns came from? No. There is actually another story. But first of all, let's look at how thorns and spines and other spiky things are actually made within a plant, what, what they actually are. So we have to look at the inside of a plant. And inside a plant, uh, a flowering plant, you will find it has plumbing, right? It has lots of pipes that convey the fluid from the roots to the, to the uh, tops of the uh, leaves and back down again. But the plumbing also acts as a sort of skeleton for the trees because it is stiff and hard. So it connects the leaves to the veins, conveys the fluid, and it's called vascular tissue, if you want a, a technical term for it. That word actually is the same word as we use for our own veins and arteries because they convey fluid around our bodies. Okay. And the stiff walls of that internal plumbing support the stems and the leaves. So that's what holds them up. Now, in thorny plants, you get thorns formed when the shoots and branches start to develop, but they don't quite make it. They just give up. And so you have this bit sticking out here, complete with its vascular tissue, with its tough tissue. Or sometimes you will get leaves growing, but then they'll fall off and just leave a leaf base just sitting there. And those are often called spines rather than thorns, but we'll just call them thorns. Uh, the botanists will actually define things as to where the, um, where, where the spike actually came from, whether it was a, a failed branch or a failed leaf base. Now, you will have seen some of these. Here, anyone recognise what this is? Right, it's a lemon tree. And, uh, some of the lemon trees, you have to be very careful. We have a lovely lemon tree at Jurassic Ark. Full of, it's just full of beautiful big lemons at the moment, but it's also full of thorns. Now, if you look at leaves, they also have spiky bits sticking out of them. Some do and some don't. And again, if you get one of those thistly weeds that you've got to be careful you don't tread on with bare feet and turn it upside down, um, you can see the, the veins in the leaves much more easily from the bottom. And if you follow the leaves, uh, follow the veins, you can see them go out to the edges. And in a prickly plant, they will actually go out beyond the edges. And the green tissue in the middle hasn't quite grown as far as it should. Because you can get some weeds which are not spiky. They're still weeds. They're still a nuisance. But the green tissue has grown out. So what you've got here is a mismatch between the spiky bits Right, the vascular tissue or the hard bits, and the soft stuff where all the green tissue is. 
Now, there are different types of uh, thorns, like rose prickles, and they're formed in a completely uh, different way. They're actually an overgrowth. So we've had thorns formed from undergrowth or loss of growth. Now we've got thorns form, formed from overgrowth. And so uh, on the surface of a rose stem, you have um, epidermis or outer layer of tissue, and you get these knobs on them. But because they're forming from the outer layer, they don't have that, that internal structure. They don't have the vascular tissue. Now, all that's technical sort of stuff. But what is, the, what is the overall theme here? These are all degenerative changes. They're mismatches in growth, because overgrowth is just as bad as undergrowth or lack of growth, or growth that's stopped and things have fallen off. So these are all degenerative changes. That's interesting, isn't it? And the genetic revolution has been an absolute boon to creation because what we are beginning to understand is not now, is not just the uh, genes for making your body structure and uh, some of the functions, but we're also beginning to understand the control of genetics. And that's helping us to understand how the body functions and also how it's formed. And so control genes are a really key thing. And that's what um, <clears throat> we are gaining a lot. Uh, it, it's an enormous blessing for us. So don't be afraid of the genetics revolution. It's been a real boon to creation. So let's go back to the real history of thorns. God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Would there have been any thorns? No. You go and sit in our thorn garden in, in Jurassic Ark, it's not very good. So when God had completed everything, including all the flowering plants which are considered to be the most highly evolved plants, it was all very good. So there weren't any thorns. But things didn't stay that way, did they? We've seen this verse before. God said that the, the ground was cursed. Thorns and thistles are actually part of the cursed world. They're not part of the original good world. So things have certainly changed. Change is very real. So don't let the evolutionists tell you that we believe that everything is exactly the same. No, things have changed. But how have they changed? They've gone downhill. The created kinds did not have thorns. Everything was very good. But God cursed the ground. The world changed in a most profound way. And we are living with the results of that. So after the curse, we have thorns. Change is very true. But it's not evolution, right? Evolution, seaweed to roses. No, not at all. Our faith is based on fact, things that we can observe. So we know how thorns and thistles are formed. They are degenerative. We know that the world is going downhill because the Bible has told us so. So we live with a faith-based, a fact-based faith, and. Uh, we can stand firmly on God's word. And so I'll hand back to John here with some more. Oh, wait, I've got a couple of questions to ask right. you. <clears throat> now, I've known some of these people for a long time, and the older they get, the more prickly they become. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, sorry, that slipped out. But at Jurassic Ark, have we got plants that are the same kind, but they don't have spines or prickles? and the other one does, and yet they're the same family? Yes, that's one of the things you can see in our thorn garden. Uh, we have plants of the bromeliad kind, but also of various other kinds. And there are non-thorny versions and thorny versions. They are all the one kind. So uh, when God cursed the ground and said it would bring forth thorns and thistles, that's not when he invented pineapples or other thorny plants. That's when he said they would change. Some have changed more than others, but they're still the same kind. So does that mean that there could yet become plants that haven't got thorns at the moment but might get them? Quite possibly. After all, things are still changing. You mean we're still going downhill? We're still going downhill. Okay. <laughs> is it possible to take roses and get rid of the thorns? Uh, it is possible. It requires a lot of work. And uh, what happens is that the roses that people do this to by breeding 
uh, and various attempts at genetic engineering uh, are always thin and weedy and never as good as the most robust ones. I used to grow roses and the most robust one I had that had enormous blooms that were bright and very fragrant, but it had so many thorns it really was a weapon of war. Uh, so when people have tried to do that, they end up with degenerate roses. Um, now, they may in the end be able to do it if we understand all those control genes, they may be able to do it. But that's not evolution either. That takes brains and, and design. Well, thank you, Diane. <coughs> One of the things I've always been interested in is the fact that God actually didn't invent thorns, as Diane said, but he said the ground will bring them forth to you. And if you are a bindi eye expert, and I have feet that tell me when bindi eye are around, have you noticed that when they first have prickles, they're nice and soft? It's only when they get hard and old that they become a sticker on you. It's interesting. Our Bible gives you a framework. Uh, think his way and you'll be able to make a lot more sense of this world. And as I said this morning, and as I've said to so many groups, if you're in medicine, plan ahead. Invent medicine for diseases that haven't yet happened because they will. And Diane, you're a medical biologist. Have we seen new diseases in the last decade? Oh, yeah. So it is happening right here and now because our systems are breaking down. It's a sad message, but it also means if you want to live in a world where there are no thorns on the roses, it's not now. It's coming. I say that because, you see, I have some very genuine charismatic friends who say, Jesus conquered the curse and you can be made 100% healthy now. Well, if you're made 100% healthy, you're not going to die. That's what 100% healthy is. But I love to tell them a simple rule. While there are still thorns on the roses, the curse hasn't yet been removed. The curse is here so that you will know we have sinned and the, we, we need a solution. Okay, let's round today up. There's Joseph. There's my grandson, Ben. Um, look at the lovely T-shirts that are on them. Come. Have I mentioned T-shirts? I have, haven't I? But you realise how important it is not only to know where thorns come from, it's important to know where man comes from. We were made in God's image. We're not even related to the apes and the monkeys and the gorillas. In fact, it's because man has sinned that this was necessary. By the way, for a free book that we promoted this morning, what happened to the dinosaurs? Can anybody tell me who owned that boat? God, that's the right answer. Who, who said that? Somebody wisely said that. Nobody's willing to answer? Come on, own up. This is yours free of charge. It wasn't you, Pastor, was it? Mimic? No, never mind. Well, if you're not brave enough, you'll have to buy one now. They're really great up the back there. But in reality, God had told Noah the instructions and Noah was left alone to organise the building of it. But it really was God's plan. And don't forget, if you want to experience how big this is, plan on coming to Jurassic Ark. And don't forget, just like the interactive stuff you saw in the dinosaur book, we praise the Lord we've been able to make Jurassic Ark interactive so the students who are coming, well, there's a test group coming on next, this Thursday, isn't it, coming up. And they'll be testing. Oh, no, I'm sure they'll be absolutely excited, but you can't take it away because it only works like with the books. You have to have the thing there to make it work. There's our being point for the whole day. There are many theories and opinions that disagree with everything in the Bible. And if you still have things that you think contradict the Bible, Diane's up the back, I'm up the back, come and talk to us. Send us an email if you're too scared. Uh, we, we do get people send lots of questions in, don't we? And I'll be honest, I know some of them by the style that they ask the question in, and I know they should have asked it in a public meeting. But, well, I even had some people today, I don't like asking questions in public. I can understand that. You see, the facts never contradict the Bible. But what you'll be told are the facts are actually not often the facts at all. You know the islands that are allegedly sinking due to the West using too much carbon? These are 99% lies, just outright lies. That's why you want that DVD on climate change. We actually show you the islands and show you what they're like despite the claims. Have a look at the books on Adam and Eve and the monkeys in the trees, road tested all around the planet. Uh, and now the last one here. Oh, he told you we'd made it interactive. Let's try it. I've got to click on here while this book tries to fall off. There we go.
because the kids have to follow the story through of who made the dinosaurs by trying to find the baby one. And they think it's wonderful. You know, the who made, the where is Wally or whatever? That's what it's based on. And the kids think it's great. And for the older kids, they do need to know what God thinks about homosexuality. Because I'll be honest, I've had many Christians tell me, you can't blame them, that's how they're made. No, you are no more made a robber or a thief or a murderer or a sexual pervert than you are made a homosexual or a paedophile. Mm, that's why God has such a tough stand on it. And the other one, that's the climate one. See for yourself. The Lord has enabled us to spend a whole lot of time and effort and your money um, actually researching this. Oh, and one last thing. Where does it go to? It goes to people like Peter. Joseph never got round to telling you, and I was going to tell you when I came last year, but Peter came up to both of us at the end of a meeting down in the Blue Mountains, and he said, 10 years ago, when you came to this town, I wasn't a Christian. He said, I refuse to believe. I came along to disagree with you. Right? He, he said, I was an evolutionist. He said, you demolished everything I believed. What choice did I have except to become a Christian? I love that logic, right? But it's really true. That's why the Bible says God has stamped his nature on everything and he will use the evidence against you on judgment day. You won't be able to deny it. Pray for Peter and uh, your chance is coming up now. Pray for the others who are being outreached through Jurassic Ark and our work in schools. We're in the school tomorrow and you know there are not all Christian families there. Pray for the kids and ask your questions. Pray for Joseph and I as we uh, actually head around England for this eight or ten weeks, pray for the field trip, one of the first things. There's an awful lot of places there, and I'll save the rest of my slides, just two of them, for the end. Anyone got any questions? Diane, do you want to come and join me in case they have a question about prickly old men or things like that? <laughs> Anyone got any questions? Yes, sir. Oh, microphone, he wants up there. Oh, you don't have a microphone. Just yell. All right, I'll give you a little bit of an answer and then Diane, who's far more competent in the medical biology side than me, I'm old enough to remember when I can't remember anybody who had a disease called AIDS. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there are other, many other diseases. One that we, we, we invented ourselves because we decided to recycle uranium in bullets. Right? That's what they do with recycled uranium and it actually produced a brand new disease which we'd never seen before. Diane, take over. Give them a couple of examples of this sort of stuff or why it's happening. That was the real question. Oh, well, the, re <clears throat> the reason why it's happening is that um, partly our own immune systems are just degenerati uh, degenerating, just like those th thorns. Right? Um, we are being hit with mutations all the time. Most of them don't do us any harm, but a lot of them do. And the immune system is a very complicated system and every <clears throat> so that is degenerating. The outside world is degenerating. There are more chemicals and uh, other things out in the environment that we weren't exposed to before. There are also bugs and microbes. I mean, AIDS is a classic example of where a virus, which was obviously in the environment before, but it has moved into the human race um, through things like uh, African bushmeat and. Um, various uh, sexual perversions. And then once it is in the human race, it is easy to spread. I mean, microbes think that your body is a five-star hotel, so once they get in, they're not going to move out. Uh, and there are various other microbes that have done the same thing. I remember uh, one of our earliest reports in our evidence news was about a disease called Bartonella that nobody had ever, ever heard of because it was a microbe that existed in other animals, that they found it in cats, but it had moved into human beings. Once it was in there, it just did not want to go away. So it's a mixture of degenerative things. Our own genes, our own immune system is going down, so we are less resistant to all the assaults and deceits of the um, environment. The environment is degenerating, and microbes are finding newer ways to move into the human race, and they're not going to go away once they've done that. So the old mm. term, we have fallen, description. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, anyone got any other questions? Up there, yes, sir. Now they've found the microphone. That's good, go ahead. I'm on, I'm on this PA, so that's fine. You can stay there, Diane. Um, the average man on the street 
objects to the idea of a young earth and um, will often talk about different dating methods, even though they're not experts and I don't claim to be an expert. Could you speak on the, the dating methods that okay. the world's using? Two things. The person who objects to young earth is not doing it because they know any evidence. 98% of them that I've come across have no idea what the evidence is or what it means, right? So you need to know that. So they've cottoned onto the fact that if the world is old, the Bible couldn't possibly literally mean what it says. Now that's easy to follow. That's the point we made at the beginning. If coal was made 200 million years ago, then you can't read Genesis 1 literally. If you can't read Genesis 1 literally, Genesis 3, there's no God who cursed us. It must be us that's causing the problem, right? And therefore you don't need Jesus because if you're not a sinner, you don't need a saviour. That's the bit they do understand. Okay, the commonest thing they use is carbon-14, which I've gone through many, many times, but I'll give you a, a different illustration. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I come back to this church because it forces me to think through different answers to exactly the same question. So if you gave your girlfriend a diamond ring for your, enga your engagement, right, what you should ask her to do is, now, darling, take it and get it carbon-14 dated. This actually doesn't help the diamond ring at all, does it, right? High-temperature investigation of, of diamond rings. But what you will find is carbon um, as a diamond, look it up in the textbooks, 100 million, 200 million, 300 million, a billion years ago, carbon crystallised slowly as diamonds, right? Now we dig them up and give them to girlfriends. Um, OK, if that's true it should have absolutely no carbon-14 in it. For the simple reason, carbon-14 forms in the atmosphere and it's very short-lived, right? At the maximum, you'll get carbon-14 lasting for 70,000 years, but diamonds weren't formed anywhere near the atmosphere. And if they really were formed billions of years ago, they would have lost any carbon-14 they had anyway. So when your girlfriend gets her engagement ring tested and she finds it's got carbon-14 in, she can accuse you of giving her a fake or she can say, hey, the world is not millions of years old. At the more technical end, I sat down with a guy from the Los Alamos project. I mean, he had an exciting career. He blew things up all his days. a big boy's job, you know. He smashed atoms and all of that. And I asked him to plot out technically the life progress of carbon-14, but not in the way you're asking the question. All of the dating methods are dealing with things falling apart. Uranium takes this long to turn into lead. Carbon-14 takes this long to be removed from the environment. My question was the reverse. How long does it take to start from no carbon-14 to get where it is today? And his answer was, maximum, 12 or 13,000 years. Here's the graphs, right? Given everything we know, the atmosphere cannot be 30,000, 40,000, a million years. It can't be because it's actually got carbon-14 and it's not yet at the balance level. So it hasn't been, hasn't been building up for that long. Now, of course, you could have told him that from the Bible, right? He didn't say how old it was. He just said it can't be any older than. He was quite professional as a scientist, but it was fascinating to watch him do the maths and then sort of, oh, <laughs> you know, and he graphed it all up for me. It's on our website. I think we put it on, on the fact file, haven't we, somewhere in there, that graph? I'm pretty sure it's in there, yeah. So go to creationresearch.net. And just a warning, uh, you know these things, the high-tech and the protection are here now. They've made our old web read as if it's unsafe. Uh, it's happening to many websites, uh, unsecure it says. So we have been working behind the scenes to upgrade our web shop particularly. The current one is not unsecure, but your phone will tell you it is, right? And many of your newer laptops will tell you it is. So it's costing us a few thousand to upgrade the website so it's iPhone friendly. But it will come out soon with creationresearch.com.au. It's us. Don't, we haven't gone anywhere. We just have to do it that way to uh, make all of the reactions secure. So does that make sense? Right. And so, again, I repeat, they know nothing usually about the dating of things. Most geologists have never dated anything. I'm only glad our professor insisted we had to be able to date rocks in order to pass our exams. It really gave me an eyesight because we had 10 students in the group. We got 10 different answers. And when we asked the professor, he said, no, you're all right. Well, what? He said, yeah, he just plotted up and said, see, there's the average. That's it. That's the right answer. And I thought, if politicians did this, no wonder the country's in a mess, right? Okay, next question. Up to that, yeah. My name is Jane. I'm 
Yep, I can see you. Go ahead. Um, actually, I'm a French-speaking person. Speak closer. I'm a French-speaking person, so my English can get a little bit... Voila. Voila. So my English can be confusing in matter of science. But actually, the first time I saw um, the picture of a germs and bacteria, I'm like, whoa, this looks so ugly. It looks like a little demon. And I've seen how, like, science um, explains, like, sickness in, like, natural with natural science, scientific words and terms. So my question is, is there room in science realm to explain spiritual diseases? Okay, I'll take the first bit, then I'll hand to Diane, who's the disease sort of expert, right? Okay, so what, what you've got is a world where you're asking about, is it possible to in, in science? Now, originally, when Francis Bacon wrote his book on scientific method, the introduction begins, there are two books laid before us to stop us falling into error. First, there is the scriptures, right, which reveals the will of God. Then there is the creation, which declares his power. So that only the answers that fitted in with God's word were acceptable. So when he saw Christopher Columbus comes back, he's been back 100 years or so, um, and Francis Bacon's trying to explain why the edge of America looks like it fits into South Africa, he, he immediately went, well, the fountains of the deep broke open in Noah's flood. Right? So that was his framework. Today, we now have the framework of Charles Lael and Charles Darwin. Our aim is to remove Moses. So nothing that's in the Bible, is acceptable as a framework to start your answer. Okay, Diane, do you want to take over from there? Uh, in terms of human diseases, you have to have the right um, understanding of what a human being is. Now, we are told in the Bible that a human being is not just uh, so many kilograms of chemicals smashing around. Right? We are body, soul and spirit. And it is possible for all of those to be affected in some way because of the effects of the fall. And we ignore all of those things at our peril. And a lot of the failures of modern medicine are because we don't understand that we are body, soul and spirit and all of those are connected. So uh, that, that's a very good question, very important. But it goes back to how do we understand the nature of human beings? Well, we have to go to the creator who told us what we were. So to, just before we let you go and I finish off for the night, yeah. are you saying that if because I'm not saved, I feel I've got an image problem, nobody can fix it, so I take drugs to suppress it and that produces a complication in my health? Is that an example of what you're talking about, that we would then call a disease and the doctors would say it has to be treated by medicines? Yes, yes. So the disease may start in, in any of those things, but they are all connected and we ignore them at our perils. So some diseases are very, very clearly caused by something going wrong with your genes, something going wrong with your physical body. So you will need a physical fix. Right? There are other diseases which start in the mind because you don't understand uh, the uh, stresses and pressures that your mind is under. That's going to affect your body. And some of those things come because we don't understand our, our spiritual nature as well. And we may try and fix those things with the wrong solutions, like taking drugs. Now, that again, that is going to then affect our physical body and you get into a sort of downward spiral. Okay, thanks, Diane. They can ask you more about that because that's a very important question. Let me just finish off the night, and I know you had a question. If you want to ask up the back, that's fine. Our time is running out. Remember our reading from Peter? It includes the warning about the day of the Lord coming, and it says that back in Noah's day, people ignored that. In fact, the whole reason why this issue, even though we talk about black stuff today and fossil trees, is not just the interesting bit about how they form, it's got to do with the fact that there have been a universal judgment in the past, fact. And Jesus uses this as a factual basis for a universal judgment to come. So any politician who says, I approve euthanasia, or I approve of abortion, or I approve of this or that, actually at the moment they don't even give a thought to the fact that there is a holy God who will hold them accountable. And you, in your evangelism, need to make sure that if they don't, I'm sorry, one of the bad jobs, sad jobs, hard jobs you have is, don't you realise you will be judged for this? 
you do provoke a reaction. In fact, that's how Peter finishes off to remind you Christians that there is a, a side to this too that affects the Christians. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, first time by water, next time by fire, what manner of people ought you to be in all holy conversation? Uh, the old word for behaviour, not just for speech. Watch your speech because, have you read that book, God's got all our words written down? Yeah, it's true. Be careful what you say. And godliness. So can I finish the night by challenging you not just to come and talk to Diana and me up the back, not just to think about Jurassic Ark, not just to pray for us or support us, put yourself in our mindliness, but make sure you in this church are very concerned about all your behaviour and your godliness. And when you reach out to others, you're concerned about the fact that a holy God will judge them. That's why he sent you to tell them. And if you don't, you do remember the warning God gave to the people of Israel? If you don't warn them, their blood is on your head. That still applies. Make sure you do your job. I'm going to hand back to our brother to close in prayer. There's plenty of uh, time left. We will be packing up the books tonight. Sorry for those of you who want to come to school and buy them tomorrow. You'll have to take them tonight. Thanks, bro.